Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us at our online campus, Bush Lake Campus and West Tonka Campus. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach and I have the joy of serving here as the multi-site, micro-site and online pastor. And we are in the middle of a sermon series called Rhythm, Learning to Live in Step with God. We're looking uh, really at this passage in the Old Testament. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. It's called the Shema. It's an invitation for us uh, to listen to God and the, the rhythms that he gives for us. And so to kick us off this morning, I, I'd love to invite us all to uh, read these words to unite our hearts and our voices. So read these with us now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so we're digging in, really doing a word study of each of these words in Deuteronomy 6. And we've already looked at the word listen or hear, which is the Hebrew word for Shema. We're called to listen and obey. We've also looked at the word Lord and what that means. And we've looked at the word love. And today we have a chance to address the, the question, what is the heart? How do we love God with all of our hearts? And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was doing some sermon prep. I was watching some playoff football, okay? And I was sitting there watching uh, the game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the LA Rams. And uh, it was just a, a really close game. It had gotten down to the wire. In fact, either team could have won. The Rams were up a little bit and they were playing there in Tampa Bay. And uh, uh, the, the, the Buccaneers came down, they were marching down the field and they were kind of within uh, the, the red zone, just a few yards out from, from the end zone. And they ran an important third down play. Uh, they ran it and then they came up just a little bit short, maybe short by a few inches. And I was sitting there, I was watching the replay. I was like, yeah, it looks like the officials, they, they, they seem to have gotten it right. And then I heard legendary broadcaster Al Michaels as he was kind of talking through the play-by-play, -play, he said, yep, they got it here. And, and then they ran it here. And it, yeah, they just came up a little bit short. And as Al Michaels said that, the home fans, you could hear them as they were watching the replay, began to boo and shout down the referees because they thought their team had a first down. And then Al Michaels, just brilliant, said, and the thousands of fans here looking on with their heart and not their eyes. I was like, Al, that's pretty good, man. We might get you up here to preach one of these days. Who knows? Uh, but I, I thought it was so true because in their hearts, in their wants, in their desires, they wanted their team, the Buccaneers, to get the first down and then to ultimately get the touchdown to win the game. And their wants and desires, their heart prompted them into action. Uh, they looked on with their hearts and not their eyes. And while it's true for them, I wonder how often is it true for us? How often do we look on with our heart and not our eyes? How often do we make decisions based on our heart? Even when it leads us to places that maybe we know we shouldn't go. Let's just use a couple of examples. Maybe a simple one for us. Okay, we'll start light. Uh, maybe for some, you've set up some New Year's resolutions. You've thought to yourself, this is going to be the year. I'm going to get into better shape. I'm going to eat healthy, all that good stuff. But you have one of those really rough weeks. All right, and it's just tough at work, it's tough at home, whatever it might be. And so you decide, well, I deserve and I want to, my heart prompts me, I'm gonna go ahead and have that piece of chocolate cake and break all my New Year's resolutions. All right, maybe that's what it is and then you end up regretting it later on. Maybe for some, when it comes to our financial spending, you see with your heart those new shoes or those new clothes and you want to have it, you feel like you deserve to buy it and then you do, but then you only wear it once or twice and you end up regretting it later on. You looked on with your heart and not your eyes. 
It could be an even bigger purchase. And now you said, I want that, I deserve it. And now that I have it, I'm straddled down with debt. Or maybe for some, uh, you find yourself in a relationship that you know you shouldn't believe it. And, and, and really, you ignore all the warning signs, do you not? Okay, maybe some of the warning signs look like this. I want to be with this person no matter what. Sure, he doesn't have a job, but it's not that big of a deal. Or yeah, she doesn't get along with my mother, but my mom's not the one dating her. I want to be in relationship with her. You look on with your heart and not your eyes. Okay, there's a few people up here chuckling a little bit harder. I don't know if that hit a nerve for y'all, but maybe so. Okay, and it's because of this and so many other situations that we look on with our heart and not our eyes, but as we look at the Shema, we're called not to be led by our heart, but we're called to listen and be led by God. And so what I wanna look at today is just this one question, which is this, how can I attune my heart to the voice of God? Okay, how can I, how can we attune our hearts to the voice of God? How, how can we align our hearts? How can we see where God is leading us? Like the hymn says, tune my heart to sing thy praise. What does that mean? What does that look like? How can we attune our hearts to listen to God's voice more fully and more deeply? Well, to give you a roadmap for how we're going to answer this question around attuning our heart, I want to give you three key points with three key passages. We'll see, first of all, a problem. A problem that we run into when it deals with our heart. A second, we'll look at a provision. Okay, what is it that God does? How does God step into the story, into the equation with us? And then third, a practice. What is a practice that we can instill every day, every week into our prayer lives that we can find to live in rhythm with God? So a problem, a provision, and then a practice. Okay, before we dive into our first point, I, I want us to just take a really big picture view of what the heart really is. Because in the Hebrew scriptures, it's a little bit different than what we see the heart to be. And so the Hebrew word here in the Shema is the Hebrew word levav, okay? Or sometimes it's shortened to say lev. And it's been our practice over the last several weeks to say these Hebrew words, God bless you, to say these Hebrew words with one another. So let's say levav together. Say levav. Oh yeah, y'all are strong. Yeah, you kind of like from your gut, you said that one. That's great. Okay, it doesn't need to have that, that throat clearing like echad. Okay, just levav is good to go. But what does levav mean? What is heart? Well, in our West, I think a lot of times we compartmentalize, okay? It's like, oh, our heart is where our feelings and our emotions are, but then our head, that's where our mind, that's where our intellect is. But for the Hebrew reader, they had no conception of the mind like how we have it. Rather, the heart was really the foundation. It was the bedrock for all things. Yes, for feelings and yes, for emotions, but it ultimately was where the entire person, their inner being was. It was where decisions were made with their heart. Inner rationale was where the heart uh, occurred within the heart. It's really how people made sense of the world. And to give you a verse that really summarizes this, Proverbs 4 says this. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Or some of you might see, guard your heart with all diligence. That's another translation. But here it is. For from it flows the spring of life. So what the author is getting at is it's saying, for from your heart flows all of your rationale, all of your decision making. And so for the Hebrew, the heart, yes, represented physical life. Sure, it pumped blood throughout our bodies, but it was also the place where wisdom was stored, where cognitive functions occurred, and yes, even where feelings emerged. And so as we talk about the heart, if we wanted to really put kind of like a big picture definition around it, we could say this, the heart is best understood as the inner person, the seat of our mind, 
emotions and our will. Because it's not just kind of this one little compartment, but it's really all of our inner being, all of our inner self and how we are directed in that. And so that's what it means whenever the writer here is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your whole inner being. But we know that sometimes that isn't always easy. And so that leads us into our first point, our problem. And to give some context, we're reminded that in the opening chapters of the Bible, God created, and it says that God created humanity and humanity was very good. But then Genesis 3 happened and because of the fall, we now live on this side of the fall with uh, parts of sin impacting everything, our physical and our internal being. And so we run into a problem a lot of times with our heart. Our heart might have the inclination to choose good or evil, but I believe that left unchecked, our heart might default towards destruction. And we know this to be true. Jeremiah 17, 9 says these words. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And then I laugh at this last one. Who can understand it? Okay, we'll unpack that in a second. But whenever we look at this verse, it's really this idea of of saying the heart is deceitful. And that word deceitful is really important because throughout the Hebrew scriptures, it's the word for Yaakov or Yaakov. And it highlights this idea of deceitfulness or hiding and waiting. It's it's kind of like the heart is lying in ambush, ready to jump out and, and, and strike us whenever it can. A lot of times, Yaakov deceitfulness is used to describe Satan and his tactics of deceitfulness, especially as he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And so there it is. Sometimes the heart is lying in ambush. It's it's deceitful, ready to jump out and get us. But I think it's important that the author used the word deceitful rather than the word dishonest. So what are the differences between deceitfulness and dishonesty? Uh, Well, I think whenever you look at dishonesty, you can usually spot a dishonest person uh, pretty quickly. Uh, though they, they might be a dishonest salesperson, though they might be giving you kind of a, a used bag of goods, you know, you kind of ultimately, the, the truth will be found out by the way that they are saying things or how they're acting. But deceit, whew, that's harder to spot. You see, because deceit takes the truth and it twists it and it thwarts the truth. And then not only is deceit lying in ambush, but deceit, I believe, has a hidden agenda. An agenda that oftentimes isn't made known to us an agenda that is not for the flourishing, but for the destruction of each and every one of us. And so here's why this is important. Okay, Jeremiah is saying the heart is deceitful. So why is that relevant to us? Well, have you ever heard or been given this advice? Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Whenever you come to an impasse where you're like, I don't know what decision to make or what action to pursue, just follow your heart. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you've given that. You don't have to raise a hand, no, but, but you've heard that maybe at times. But what we see here is that that's really, can I be honest, can we lean into it? Terrible advice, okay? Because the heart is lying in ambush, okay? How did it go whenever you followed your heart? It may not have ended well, okay? And so what we see is the heart is deceitful, lying in ambush, ready to lead us to destruction. And then as Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I laugh at that and I go, yeah, no one. I can't understand my heart most of the time, all right? Because then a lot of times we choose an action and then we're left saying, man, why did I do what I just did? Why did I say what I just said? You wanna know why? It's because your heart, your heart is deceitful and we can't understand it. That's what ultimately it's driving us towards. And so our inner being can prompt us in this direction. And if we're not cautious, if we leave it unchecked, it can lead us down destruction. Now, 
I'll be honest, I'll, I'll raise a hand and say, I'm, I'm guilty of this, okay? And it might just be me, but anybody else like followed your heart from time to time? Uh, I've done it like once maybe in my life, okay? <laughs> but one, that one time came several years ago. Uh, my wife Cass and I, we were at a wedding downtown in Minneapolis and we had a great time. And we were driving back and we didn't have kids at that time. Our, our son, Craig, who is now five, uh, he was, uh, Cassie was about six months pregnant with him. And so we were really, you know, just heading home, having this great time at this wedding. And I, we were on Highway 62, just driving along. And all of a sudden, I look over to my left and this big white truck pulls up that I have never before seen in my life, much less, I hadn't seen this truck in the last 15 minutes. And I look over and he looks over at me and he gave me a hand gesture. Now it wasn't a thumbs up. <laughs> I won't give it to you. All right, I'm sure you can guess. And then here's what he did. He proceeded to swerve into my lane to try and cut me off and run me off the road. And all of a sudden, me with, you know, just a red-blooded male, you know, fight or flight began to kick in. And it's like, all of a sudden, this emotion waved over me. And I'm like, who do you think you are? My wife's six months pregnant. And I'm like, am I going to fly, uh, fly away? No, I'm going to fight this. And, and all of a sudden, Cassie like leaned over. She's like, it's okay. You can breathe. And I'm, okay. You know, and I'm, I'm like slowly like coming down off of it, right? And I realized I had to move away from that. But that's what the heart does. It ambushes us when we least expect it in that moment. And so how about you? Have you ever had a moment wherever things have just waved over you and it's just like, I was seeing red, okay? But you've, you've kind of had that moment where you pursued something where you probably shouldn't have pursued. Maybe someone here today, you're the driver of that white truck and that's you, come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> we'll bury the hatchet. We'll bury the hatchet, all right? Okay. No one's come up and chatted with me and say, I'm the driver of the white truck. So last time, you know, I'll give it a shot. But maybe for the rest of us though, have you ever like just kind of felt that, that inner self wave over you and you know, you're sitting there in a relationship and you're like, yeah, I kind of feel like I want to fib in this relationship because I feel like I'm gonna get cornered and I wanna, I, you know, I wanna get out of it. That's your heart. You, you know, maybe for, for others of us, you're in a relationship and doing things with someone that you know you shouldn't be doing. That's our heart leading us. Maybe for our students, you're cheating on tests or exams because you want to get into that honors class or into that college. A lot of times, if we are not cautious and careful, our heart will lead us with its hidden agenda down the path of destruction. But our heart wants us to listen to our wants, our will, and our way instead of God's will, God's want, and God's way. And so as I studied this, there was a commentator, F.B. Huey, who said these words, uh, he said, the human heart has an unlimited capacity for wickedness and deceit so that human resources are incapable of dealing with it. The only remedy is a radical change, nothing less than rebirth. So what then is this radical change? What is this sort of rebirth that he's talking about here? Uh, well, it leads us now into our second point, which is the provision Okay, God sees that we have a problem, that our heart is deceitful, but God doesn't leave us alone. He steps into the story with us. He steps in with his graceful, loving provision. And just a few books later in the book of Ezekiel 36, he, he says this, God speaks and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Love that. Then verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
Okay, whereas the first point in Jeremiah, it was like just really tough stuff to hear. Now God is speaking with hope-filled language. It's a promise for us to cling to. God is gonna uh, send his son to, to sprinkle us with water that all impurities might be gone and that all idols would be removed from us. And then he goes on in verse 26 and he says, uh, I'm gonna put a new heart and a new spirit in you. Okay, he says, I'm gonna remove that heart of stone, that stone-filled heart that's a hardened heart where it's kind of like, God, I'm gonna keep you at bay. I'm gonna keep you at arm's length. Uh, A heart of stone is like immovable. It's like, I'm not gonna uh, move and I'm gonna listen to God's promptings in my life, but now I'm gonna give you a heart of stone. Uh, Sorry, a heart of flesh, a a soft stone that is adaptable and moving and, and really prompts us and allows us to be led by where God is leading us. It's a hope filled passage. And so when I think about that, what is our role in, the, in this exchange? Nothing. We are recipients of God's provision that he is coming, going to remove our deceitful heart and give us something new. And so if I was to put it in today's language, I would say this, we need a brand new operating system. Okay, we need a brand new operating system. And I'm reminded actually of a time during my freshman year of college Uh, where it was getting towards the end of the school year and I was like working ferociously because you know when it kicks up at that time, you've got all these papers and projects and presentations and it was like all the the, the pressure was mounting on me and I was sitting there one night till late at night, early into the morning, working on these papers and these projects, just working ferociously as as hard as I could. And then sometime around 2.33 in the morning, uh, my computer all of a sudden went blank and popped up an error message. Yeah, I know, the five of you here that are groaning with me, yes, you know my pain, okay? And so I restarted it, same thing, error message. I rebooted it, you know, I tried everything, same thing, error message. And so the next day I took my computer into the store and I handed over, I kind of explained the details and they took it and a few days later they called me. I said, yeah, we got it figured out, why don't you come in? And so I went in and, and they showed me, they say, yes, you had one little issue right here with, with this one piece of tech. And so we removed that piece and put in a new piece. It was a small piece, but if you would have left that same piece of technology in there, you would have continued to get the same result every single time. And I wonder how true that is for you and for me. How often do we continue to get the same result, that same error message? How often do we continue to follow our deceitful heart? No, we need a brand new operating system. We need something that's brought in from the outside when God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to remove those idols and those impurities from you and give you a new direction. And I appreciate this because when we think about it, I think within our culture, there's sort of this sort of rugged individualism where I'm just gonna work and I'm gonna achieve and and I'm gonna overcome this mess or this decision or this action on my own efforts. But let's just lean into that because what the logic is saying is we're saying the, the same intellect, the same faculties, the same strength that got me into the mess, that's gonna be the same thing that's gonna get me out of the mess. But the reality is we need a complete new overhaul. We need something from the outside inputted in to give us a different result entirely. We need a new heart. We can't solve this issue on our own. We can't solve it on our own sheer willpower. We have to see God's provision and the new heart that he's giving to us. And so that's true for some, but you know, I, I think if we could just take a step to the side a little bit, 
I think that for some of us, we're sitting there and we're like, yeah, I feel like I've like prayed to God. I feel like I've gotten a new heart, but I still struggle quite a bit. Uh, okay, I'm not perfect, right? I, I feel like I'm, I'm not, you know, batting a perfect score right now. What, what do I do? You know, I'm struggling with this. Can I just say that the tension that you're feeling is real and that is okay. Uh, because what theologians really teach us is that there's a statement that is called the already, but not yet. Okay, the already, but not yet. Let me explain that. Uh, what theologians would say is that we are already saved. We already have a new heart, but we are not yet made perfect. We are not yet glorified. Uh, on this side of eternity, we still live in a fallen world as fallen beings. And so there's gonna be pressures that are coming in from us at every single angle. So why is it important that we have a new heart? Well, like I said, we had a new heart because we get a new operating system. We get new leadership. We get new direction. You see, the old way, it's saying, you know, I was enslaved to that old default way. I was enslaved to the way that my heart led me. But now when we are in Christ, it's saying those things have no power over me. You realize that in the name of Jesus, those things have no power. But now you have a new Lord and a new direction. That's why the Shema is so important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's that idea of Jesus is Lord. Whenever you have a new heart, you follow his direction and not your heart's direction. But as we live in this gap then, how do we maybe improve? How do we find ways to follow Jesus more fully? Thus we return to the opening question. How then can I attune my heart to the voice of God? Well, I'm glad you asked it. That leads us into our practice, our third point. And to look at our practice, we, we really pull it from Psalm 139. These are the words of David. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, sit in that for a moment. Uh, David's saying, search me, examine me. Uh, show to me the anxious thoughts. Show to me the ways that are offensive or grievous or the, the ways that lead me to destruction. And then lead me in ways everlasting. And so as we look at this, I, I want to really just pull out a couple of ideas, a, a couple of rhythmic practices. We are in this series called Rhythm. And so what is a rhythm that you can establish into your daily, weekly lives, into maybe even your prayer? Uh, well, here's what I want to say. A, a practice for attuning our hearts to the voice of God is this. Reveal, repent, and receive. So those three rhythmic patterns. Reveal, repent, and receive. What can I step into this week? Reveal, repent, and receive. Well, let's unpack these for a moment. First of all, reveal. Oh, what does it mean to reveal? Uh, it goes back to what David's saying. He's saying, search me, God, examine me. Uh, okay, there's this idea of like cross-examine me even. Uh, I wanna know those places that are out of alignment with you. And so really what it is, is it's partnering with God and this amazing examination work to say, God, look for the subterranean feelings and emotions in my life. Those emotions that kind of sit beneath the surface that I don't always know how to put words to, but it's those emotions that wave over me. It's that inner self that wave over me whenever I'm feeling road rage kicking up. Okay, that's what it looks like. Reveal why am I feeling that way? Because our typical default is what? Just stuff it down. Just stuff it down a little bit more. And the more we stuff, the more sideways out that comes. But whenever we say, God, I, I want to reveal it to you. I, I want you to search me as well. Uh, that's whenever healing can occur. But not only that, why do we reveal our inner self, th those places where it might be out of alignment? Because if we're honest, we can't listen to the voice of God 
and the noise of our heart at the same time. Okay, let me say it another way. Are you listening to the noise of your heart or are you listening to the voice of God? You see, a lot of times, whenever we simply reveal it, saying, God, this is a hindrance to me, and so I lay it before your feet. Help me now to listen to your voice. And as we're listening to God's voice, it leads us into the second rhythm, which is repent. Okay, now I know y'all are thinking, it's like, man, he got real Southern on us today, talking about repentance. Okay, what is repentance? Because I think a lot of times we're, we're cautious around repentance. Repentance is simply just changing our mind. In the Greek, it's metanoia. It means to turn from something and to turn to something. What David is saying here is, show me the offensive way, but don't let me sit there. Lead me in the way everlasting. God, so show me where it is that you are guiding me. Help me to turn from that offensive way and to turn to your way that you have for me. And so repentance has an action implied. Uh, The reason why this is important is because it's not enough to simply just sit there and say, God, reveal to me the places where I'm out of alignment and then do nothing about it. It goes back to saying, God, show me how to step forward. Show me how to be obedient. The Shema means to hear, to listen, and to obey. And so as we think about this problem that that we have, this idea that our culture continues to feed us to just say, oh, you know, just follow your heart. I I think that we could all say this. The truth of our day is we are trained to follow our heart. Okay, that's the truth. That's what culture wants to say. The the truth is, oh, just follow your heart. You you need to be trained to follow your heart. However, whenever we look biblically, it's different. We must train our hearts to follow truth. Okay, we must train our hearts to follow truth. We must train our hearts to be in alignment and attuned to God's voice and God's direction. And I appreciate so much of Psalm 139. The, The author behind it is David. Because for those of you who really kind of know your scriptures, um, David was a man after God's own heart. And so his heart longed for God's heart. But whenever we look at David's story, we we know this wasn't true, especially towards the latter part of his life. uh, Because he did some things that he was probably led by his heart. He was led by his wants and his desires. He was led by his uh, faulty inner self. Uh, There was one night where he was sitting on his rooftop. He had sent his army out and he stayed back behind rather than being active with them. And as he's standing on his rooftop, he looks down and sees a beautiful woman bathing. Okay, probably not a good spot to be in as a lonely guy. And he says, I want that. I need that. That's what my heart is longing for. So he sent his servants down, brings Bathsheba back up and has an affair with her. And then because he doesn't want to get caught, He has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered, giving the order in battle. So now you've got a man after God's own heart who is a lying, murdering adulterer. And then he comes here and he he says, search me, O God. Uh, Reveal to me the places that are offensive. And and another one of his Psalms that I love, Psalm 51, he says, "Uh, won't you create in me a pure heart, O God, and restore to me the joy of of your salvation. David knew that if he continued on the path that he was on, that would lead to destruction. And so he had to uh, course correct, he had to pivot and repent of that action and be led on ways everlasting. And so David repented, he revealed, but then the third part is he received. He came to a point of brokenness and humility where he received God's mercy and God's grace. And I, I think that this is true for all of us here today. Because when we think about this idea of, oh, just following your heart or being led by your heart, I think a lot of times we, we, we just feel so guilty and so shameful and, and maybe just kind of dirty for doing that. 
But what we see here is it's not just to reveal, it's not just to repent, but it's also to receive God's grace and the fact that he is with us. God didn't just hit the eject button whenever he saw us and our actions. He didn't move away from it. No, 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 no. He moved towards it. He moved towards you and me. And that's why his grace and his love and his mercies are so beautiful. His mercies are new each and every day. And that's why it's important for us to do what we're doing today as we come to the table to receive the bread and the cup, uh, that it's a reminder to us of who Jesus is and what he's done and his grace that he pours out for each and every one of us. And so I, I realize that for some here today, like you may not have ever had the chance to respond to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, uh, my, I feel like faith has just been behavior modification. I'm just trying to work it out on my own. I've got a divided heart or I've got a heart that's far from God. And, and I know that I need a change because what's gotten me here isn't gonna get me there where I need to be. And so all it simply means is Romans 10 says, all who call on the name, just the name, the name of Jesus will be saved. An example we use here at Westwood is it's removing your hands from the steering wheel of your life, moving over to the passenger seat and allowing God, Jesus, to guide and direct and steer our life. And so if that's you, friends, I, I invite you to welcome Jesus, to simply say yes to his prompting and to his leading in your life. I'll give you a chance in just a moment as we pray together. But for the rest of us, may we come to this table, may we receive these elements with glad, sincere, and joyful hearts for who he is and what he's done. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, that the word became flesh. You didn't run from our mistakes. You didn't uh, kind of close your eyes, but you moved towards everything that, that, that has really been a shortcoming and a pitfall of us. You step into the gap and you bring your love and your mercy and your grace and you give us a new way. You give us a new heart. That's your provision. And so, Lord, may we sit in that. May we see that. May we hold on to that in new and profound ways today. And Lord, I know that there are some here and some joining us online who haven't had a chance to say yes to you. That they're caught in this cyclical cycle and they're getting the same old result after result after result. Friends, if that's you, all it takes is calling upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so it just means calling out to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I in humility open up my hands and I invite you, be the Savior, be the Lord of my life. And so, Lord, we ask that as we receive of these elements, Remind us of your love. Remind us of your grace. May this not just be another action that we walk through, but engage our entire being, our heart, our soul, and our strength. Be honored in this time. We pray this all in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus. And all God's people said,